A purple and gold good day to you, and welcome into the JMU Sports Update Podcast. It's presented by United Bank. With absolutely free checking, I'm Kurt Dudley, Director of Broadcast Services, the all-sports voice of the Dukes, and your host for today's podcast. And I'm joined by a number of JMU students who are members of our JMU Athletics Broadcast Services team. And thank you for listening to this Thursday, February the 18th edition. Here's what we have on the agenda for this podcast. First of all, I have a few news and notes to share with you. We'll also be joined by Carter Ensley. He'll take a look at Moorhead State, this weekend's opponent, as the Dukes open up the college football season at home Saturday noon against the Eagles of Moorhead State. We'll also hear from Tucker Stunz and Noah Ziegler. They recap this past weekend's big weekend for JMU men's basketball and look ahead to this weekend which is another big one for the JMU women's basketball Dukes as they entertain first place Delaware and we'll join Carter again as he'll take a look at our final uh, CAA football foe preview this time it's the Spiders of Richmond. So let's get started with a few notes and first of all congratulations to JMU freshman Miranda Stanhope. She is this week's CAA co-runner of the week for cross country. She earned the accolade after starting her collegiate career pretty impressively as she finished second among 41 runners at the University of Richmond Invitational. It was a 5K race. She clocked in at 17 minutes, 29.8 seconds, leading the Dukes to a second place finish in the five-team field. And other congratulations are in order after opening up their season. Uh, the Jamie Women's Tennis Duke swept the CA Weekly Awards. Senior Jonah Roca earning the CA Women's Player of the Week honors. And senior Alexis Franco, a transfer from Wake Forest, and sophomore Natalia Nicolopoulou were named the Women's Doubles Team of the Week. Roca opened her season with a 2-0 mark at number two singles as the Dukes picked up wins over Towson 7-0 and East Tennessee State 4-2. She also went 2-0 in number two doubles alongside redshirt sophomore Kylie Mulan uh, as uh, they cruised to a 6-1 win over Towson and clinched the double point with a, against East Tennessee State with a 6-3 victory. Franco and Nicolopoulou uh, rolled to a 2-0 weekend at number one doubles, sealing the doubles point against Towson with a 6-1 win and opening the match with a victory against East Tennessee State Sunday. JMU baseball coach Marlon Eikenberry's found an opponent this weekend. The Dukes were not scheduled to open up for a few weeks, a couple of weeks yet at the very least. But uh, JMU will open this weekend, uh, scheduled to go down, even though the weather is still pretty questionable. But they're heading to North Carolina to face the Tar Heels in Chapel Hill with single game scheduled for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Now, I can see where that may get moved just a little bit. Not quite sure at the time of this recording of the podcast what the Dukes' travel plans are, uh, whether they'll just try to make it all in one day and play a single game or fr- on Friday or not. Not sure about that, but, of course, you can keep up with it by uh, following the JMU uh, social media pages for baseball, uh, for Twitter, JMU Baseball, or, of course, you can keep up with jmusports.com. Uh, the du- the uh, Dukes uh, and the Tar Heels have not played since 2013 when the Heels took two from the Dukes. Uh, nine of the 11 games played in this series have happened in Chapel Hill. JMU men's soccer has also uh, opened up, will open up its season this weekend. Uh, this was another one of those changes in the schedule. 
The Dukes were expected to play against Georgetown on the road this weekend, but that match has been pulled. Instead, the Dukes will open up Sunday at 5 at Centera Park against the Flames of Liberty. That makes Sunday a doubleheader scheduled at Centera Park as the JMU women, they too are slated to open up their season against the Liberty Flames. So 1 o'clock and 5 o'clock, that 1 o'clock match for the women is scheduled for Flow Sports with a Flow Sports subscription. Now for the men, this will be the sixth meeting between the Dukes and the Flames, and the Dukes have a 4-1 to advantage. Have not played since 2015. That was a 1-0 win for Liberty in Harrisonburg. Uh, the Dukes have outscored the Flames 7-3 in the five matches. JMU opens up ranked 18th by Top Drawer Soccer and 27th by College Soccer News. JMU Volleyball lost just this past Sunday to open up the season to the University of Delaware. They're going to play again this weekend. London Solomon has more. In their second match of the shortened season, JMU Volleyball is traveling to the University of Delaware for another chance to beat the Blue Hens. The Duke suffered a tough loss to Delaware last Sunday, going down three sets to one, although the individual scores for the last three sets were extremely close. James Madison hopes to shift those numbers in their favor through the efforts of players like junior libero Savannah Marshall, who had a match-high 19 digs in the previous meeting, and sophomores Danielle Nathan and Sophia Davis, who put up a combined 19 kills. However, JMU will have to watch out for the Blue Hens outside hitter Michaela Putnicki, a redshirt junior who had 16 kills and just over 20 points on Sunday, as well as sophomore setter Ezgi Basaranlar, who was both an offensive and defensive force, tallying an incredible 40 assists as well as 7 blocks. This is the second of back-to-back -back matches between the programs. Up next, JMU will play VCU on Monday, February 22nd, while Delaware will move on to a two-game series against Villanova on the 24th. For the Duke Sports Center, I'm London Solomon. Thank you, London. Now, the match was originally scheduled for Friday afternoon at 5 o'clock, but because of the icy weather and the travel conditions, the match has been moved to Sunday at 1, again at the Bob Carpenter Center in Newark, Delaware. And these two teams are members of the Colonial Athletic Association, but these matches are considered non-conference outings. They will not count towards the seating for the CA tournament uh, because Delaware is in the Northern Division. The Dukes are in the Southern Division. They're just playing each other just to work in a few matches, and they consider them in a non-conference format. Again, that match on Saturday at 1 o'clock. And when the Dukes are at home against VCU in a non-conference match on Monday, you can watch that through a Flow Sports subscription. All right, the long-awaited football season begins for the Dukes this Saturday, and crews, uh, as of Thursday, were out there working very hard after the weather came through and dumped a bunch of ice on the field and uh, in the stands and what have you as they are preparing uh, for Saturday's game. So give them kudos uh, 48 hours out. And uh, let's find out a little bit more about this weekend's opponent, the Eagles of Moorhead State, as Carter Inslee did a little research. James Madison's first football game of the 2021 spring season will be against the Moorhead State Eagles on February 20th. This non-conference game will be held in Harrisonburg and will be the 10th meeting between the two schools, with JMU leading the all-time series 7-2. The last time the Dukes and the Eagles played each other was in 2016, when JMU dismantled Moorhead State by a score of 80-7. Moorhead State University is located in eastern Kentucky and has been a member of the Pioneer League in the FCS for nearly 20 years. In 2019, the Eagles posted a record of 5-7, going 3-5 in the Pioneer League. It's been a tough few years for the team as it hasn't achieved a winning record since 2015. The Eagles' current head coach, Rob Tenure, has been with the program since 2012. One thing that might help the Eagles get back to winning ways this year is the amount of offensive firepower they have returning to their team. 
Their lead rusher from 2019, Isaiah Aguero, enters his senior season after rushing for 991 yards on nearly 6 yards per carry and 7 touchdowns as a junior. Junior quarterback Mark Pappas returns after throwing for over 2,300 yards and 19 touchdowns last season, and Landon Hurst, the breakout receiver from 2019 who caught 53 balls for 642 yards and 6 touchdowns, is back for his senior season. There's a lot for Moorhead State to be excited about on the defensive side as well. Their star defensive lineman Vaughn Taylor Jr. returns after a stellar year in 2019. The senior from Washington, D.C. had 17 tackles for a loss, which was first in the Pioneer League, and racked up five and a half sacks, which was tied for first. The Eagles also have junior linebacker Justin Benvey, who led the team last season in total tackles with 70 and solo tackles with 33. And that wraps up this quick preview on Moorhead State. We'll see how the Dukes fare against them next Saturday, February 20th. All right, thank you very much there, Carter. And as far as the coverage is concerned, on linear television, it's on NBC Sports Washington Plus. That's NBC Sports Washington Plus, linear TV. In fact, they do not have an online stream for that. Online streaming through a Flow Football subscription. Uh, yours truly and Carl Magenhofer and Allie Barefoot will join us for the live coverage from Bridge Forest Stadium. We begin our coverage at high noon. All right, the JMU basketball Dukes. The men are idle this weekend. Had a big weekend last weekend at the Atlantic Union Bank Center. The JMU women, they're entertaining Delaware twice this weekend. But we're due for a timeout. When we do return, however, we'll hear basketball talk between Tucker Stunts and Noah Ziegler after these words from United Bank. At United Bank, we wonder why pay for things that you could get for free. Take our absolutely free checking. There's no minimum balance, no monthly fees, unlimited check writing, no per check fee, a free United Visa check card, free online banking and bill pay, plus free e-statements. And these are just some of the features. Yeah, we think it's pretty good too. So why would you pay when you could get absolutely free checking from United Bank at your service? $50 minimum deposit to open. Member FDIC. United Bank says, go Dukes. Welcome to the JMU Sports Update. I'm Noah Ziegler alongside Tucker Stunts. We've got a lot to talk about today from both men's and women's basketball. Uh, both JMU programs are doing well right now, uh, Tucker. And I think we got to start with JMU women's basketball because they're the ones that actually have a few games uh, this upcoming weekend. But first, let's recap yesterday, a game that you were on the broadcast crew with, with Kurt Dudley. JMU women's defeating UNC Wilmington 79-55, to a commanding win for the Dukes. Uh, Tucker, just what are your instant thoughts? Kind of what did you think from watching and analyzing the game? Yeah, so I got to sit in for some commentary. It was a really cool experience. The Dukes, from what I saw, just from the tip off to the end, it was a great game just all around inside the paint and out. Uh, There's a lot of three point shooting. I'm sure we're about to talk about Dukes currently moved this 11 and seven overall seven and four in the CAA, which is good for third place in the CAA right now. UNCW falls to three and 10 overall. 0-7 in the CAA, still looking for that first conference victory. But yeah, like I said, it it was an amazing game. They played well. They were shooting the ball very well. They took a command from the start. I think they went up like 14 to 5. Then UNCW kind of got their rhythm going a little later, made it close. But by halftime, realistically, it was it was the Dukes game hand in hand. It was just a great victory. I think they kind of came in it with some confidence and they knew what they had to do. They weren't even thinking about Delaware. I know that because head coach Sean O'Regan was big on, no, 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 you worry about this game, take it as like the Super Bowl. And then when the Super Bowl is over, you move on to the next Super Bowl. So great game from the Dukes overall. A lot of, a lot of new stars and new people that got in the mix scoring. Now I know you got to watch a little bit of it, but uh, what what were your, some takeaways? 
So, so you mentioned it, and uh, Kurt, Kurt Dudley posted this on his on his Facebook and Twitter. It was nice to meet you, Claire Neff, and obviously her nineteen points, five of six from three point range. That's pretty good, you know, light hot, just ready to come out strong. Obviously, that was huge after they lost to Towson. They were within range of the Tigers, but obviously they needed this win. They have multiple people other than Neff in double digits. You have Madison Green's eleven points, Jeremiah Hazel's. 12 and obviously Kiki Jefferson with a 14 point and 12 rebound performance. Uh, the Dukes, uh, you said it, they shot a lot of threes. They went 10 of 28 from the field, but what I thought was impressive was how much they limited UNC Wilmington's three point uh, opportunities. Uh, Wilmington went four of 13 from downtown and they shot. Okay. Toward the middle of the game, they started off poorly 28.57% from the field uh, to begin in the first quarter, but in the middle of the games, they started to kind of recalibrate, but Obviously, in the second quarter was when JMU made that big push to kind of really take the driver's seat in this game. And and I, I said it again, it's huge for them to get that win after Towson. And especially, and I know you said it, O'Regan's not looking ahead to that Delaware match because that Delaware match is huge. But obviously, they had to handle UNC Wilmington. They did it. Now it's on to Delaware. And it's definitely great momentum to have, especially also that they don't have to go on the road. They win that game. They don't have to worry about going to sleep and then getting up the next day and traveling. They're at home. They're able to be used to the surroundings. So obviously them being at home for the next two games, obviously they play Delaware Saturday and Sunday, both at 6 p.m. in Harrisburg at the Atlantic Union Bank Center. That'll be interesting to see what happens. But a good win against UNC, UNC Wilmington, sorry. And again, it, we'll see what happens with the momentum as they, as they kind of are rounding third in the regular season. They're really heading home for the postseason. Going back to what you said earlier about them defensively, they, it looked like they came out for maybe 20 to 30 seconds of the game. The first 30 seconds playing man-to-man, they quickly switched it up to a 2-3 zone, and, I mean, they were just on them on the perimeter. They could not really get any shots outside, the ones that they were taking. They weren't exactly going in. They had some mid-range jumpers. The big thing that all UNC was trying to do was get it to their kind of star, Carol Ann Obusick. She's 6-3. She's a monster down low on the boards. And from JMU, Rain Tucker and On Doof had just were battling down there all game. JMU was good for 50 rebounds yesterday, and it was a whole team effort. And like you said, hello to Claire Neff. She made her JMU debut yesterday. She's a freshman transfer from Clemson, had to sit out due to NCAA transfer rules. And she came in, and yeah, she was splashing threes. She, I think she made three of them in a row. I could be wrong on that, but I want to say three were consecutive. And I mean, they were just one after the other. She found her spot towards the corner of the, around the perimeter. And she was just knocking them down. Mm-hmm. And like you said, to come in your debut with 19 points, that is, that is huge. Right. And, you know, quickly on Neff, it's just amazing to see that they get that type of player, kind of that reinforcements in the middle of the season. And it comes at such an important time. Cause like I just said, just a few seconds ago, they're getting to the, the meat of the season. They're getting to what they really are playing for. And that is the, CA women's basketball tournament because that gets them the opportunity to go to the NCAA tournament and obviously Neff's 19 points in 17 minutes too is pretty incredible but you mentioned Duf and Tucker and those are two p- players that are just loaded with potential of being such a great duo to maintain the paint for JMU and it'll be interesting to see you know you brought up the defense do they does O'Regan stick with more of a 2-3 most of the time or does he like to switch it up a little bit just to keep other offenses on their toes but we'll see what happens as he adjusts because O'Regan knows how to adjust knows what to do in order to make those adjustments to win and again against Delaware he's going to have to do that but this is definitely a good win and it shows good signs heading into that important two-game series yeah completely right and I got to uh, listen to some of 
head coach Sean O'Regan's press conference the other day. And the one quote that really stuck with me was how he said, this team is bought into the postseason, and that makes it a whole lot easier for me to buy into the postseason. If they believe it, I believe it. And uh, I think this team is just starting to really play well together and at a great time too, getting into the end of the regular season, CAA tournament coming up. So uh, we're excited. Big games against Delaware this Saturday, third in the CAA. Well, speaking of those Delaware games, I, I guess it's good to switch into those into preview mode for that. Uh, Tucker, what it, you've done some research. I've done some research. I'm curious to see what or hear what you have to say about the Blue Hens, because obviously uh, two wins may not spring them to first place, but that, that is, those would be two huge wins going into another important series at Drexel and then the CAA Women's Tournament. So wh- what do you think about this upcoming kind of the again, the back to back series? Yeah, um, I haven't gotten to like necessarily see a lot about Delaware, but all I know is that they've really just taken taken a hold on the CAA. It seems like they've been in first now for a few weeks. Uh, they're sixteen and two overall, and they're nine and zero at home, seven and two on the road, thirteen and one in conference. They really have not had many problems really with any team they've kind of faced. The only team they've taken a loss to out of conference was George Washington. And then I believe the only conference game they lost, I want to say it was one to Elon. Yes. And, uh, 83-61 to Elon. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like I said, I, I don't know a whole lot about what they're going to bring to Harrisonburg this weekend, but I know they have a high flying offense. They score usually a lot of points. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think they're going to be exciting games, but I think it's a good matchup. The Dukes have not played them yet this season. So we're going to get to see uh, some good matchups. What are you expecting from Delaware? Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned the, the high scoring. Jasmine Dickey is the second leading scorer in the CAA with 22.8 points per game. And I'm really interested to see how the 2-3 defense, if O'Regan elects to u- utilize that at any point over these two games, how that affects uh, Jasmine Dickey. Uh, she doesn't shoot particularly well from three-point range. She's a 29.6% three-point shooter. But obviously, she, she makes up for it elsewhere. She's averaging over 22 points a game. And that's really key, I think, for JMU to just shut her down, kind of make sure that the star doesn't go off and kind of demoralize the Dukes early on. Delaware has other players. Ty Battle has 11.9 points per game. And after that, Skinner has 8.3 points per game. And then four other players that average six to seven points per game. There's 6.5, 6.6, 6.7, and 6.8 points per game from those players. So you get that supplemental scoring feel from Delaware, and that's why they can sneakily kind of just take control of games. But yeah, they've they've won three straight ever since that loss to Delaware, or loss to Elon, excuse me. And actually that's four straight. But that Elon loss also showed that Delaware isn't immune to that win the first game and then lose the second game. We've seen JMU fall victim to that quite a few times this season. I think they've figured it out for the most part, just kind of how to handle that momentum. But Delaware obviously is going to be a huge test for JMU overall. It'll be great to prepare them for the postseason. And it's great that they have these good, the big games at the end of the year, uh, just them being able to play Delaware and Drexel. Those are going to be, those are the games that you want to prepare in the postseason. And as you said, that O'Regan, brought up that the players have bought into the postseason. So these are the types of games that we're going to see them really, I don't want to say uses practice, but I guess quite literally uses practice for that. Obviously game, it's a game. So you have to treat it like a game, but it's going to be good experience in the regular season before they play these intense games that are all or nothing. I completely agree with you. You had it perfect there. I've also just a little injury update. Peyton McDaniel, freshman for the Dukes. She sat out yesterday against UNCW, 
she's made a big impact for the Dukes this season, and she is expected to play this weekend. Switching over into men's basketball, the Dukes had a big series this past weekend where they took two wins away from Hofstra, who's got a great team this year in the CAA. The Dukes had some late comebacks, didn't lead a lot of these games, but overall they got the two W's. The Dukes are now 13-5 and five overall, 8-1 and one in the CAA, which I hope you're going to hear me right here, but that's first in the CAA right now. And Hofstra is now 12-9 and nine overall, 8-6 and six in the CAA, good for fourth in the conference. Noah, what do you think? What do you, what do you take away from these games? I mean, this is something we have not really seen before. Yeah. To beat a program like Hofstra twice in two days, that is impressive. And that I think just generated so much hype and excitement around this team. Cause I think anyone who's paid attention to CAA men's basketball knows how good of a team Hofstra is year in, year out. And for JMU to beat them and to overtake first place, and I think the most exciting part, and this is when it kind of hit me that, wow, JMU men's basketball is really making waves, is seeing all the bracketologists, Joe Lenardi, Andy Katz, starting to notice JMU, starting to say Mark Byington has done a phenomenal job as JMU's head coach. And he, ha- he has to be the favorite to win CAA Coach of the Year, and I'm sure he'll get some other accolades there. But seeing JMU listed in the bracket for the first time in – I, probably since me and you, me or you have been here, uh, they're getting awfully close to being they're They're within range. And it feels weird to say, wow, it, it just feels weird to see them there, honestly, in the in the brackets, looking at them and to, to picture them on Selection Sunday is cool. But obviously they have so much to get through before they get to that point. They, they have a game against Drexel coming up and which will be important, obviously, because they want to put a bow on things. But with a couple of games against Delaware postponed this weekend, it's saved an away trip. It gives Matt Lewis a little bit of time to recover as he went out of the game, the second game against Hofstra with a knee injury, which is something else that I think is key to talk about with JMU is the fact that they were able to pull out a 74-70 win in that second game against Hofstra without Matt Lewis for a significant portion of that game. Tucker, what did you see from the Dukes that, that again, it was a huge sweep for them to beat the Pride, and now they have just one more game between them and the CAA men's basketball tournament? Props to head coach Mark Byington in his first year and being eight and one in the conference. Uh, that's a huge accolade. From what I saw from the games, I mean, JMU in that first game, they were trailing essentially the entire game. They were honestly having a pretty hard time shutting down Hofstra from three. There was a lot of different guys on the Hofstra lineup that were getting the ball outside and they were feeling it. They were knocking it down. And there were times where I was thinking, oh, this, this might get away. And then the Dukes just kept hanging in there, kept closing it down. And then I want to say, about the minute 44, two minute mark, the Dukes finally took the lead with some big shots and uh, ended up closing it out. And like we've talked about before, when we, I think we said it last week, our, the biggest thing for this men's team is playing a full 40 minutes. And clearly they did exactly that this weekend. And then Sunday's game, I didn't get to watch. I knew, like you said, Matt Lewis got hurt. Apparently he was begging to get back in the game. So, I mean, this team, this coach, they're shooting and playing with a ton of confidence right now. Like we said, they're getting it done and closing out games late if they have to. Mm-hmm. In that first game, I think what's important is you said it, the, the four, playing for a full 40 minutes and getting a, a stat line like Michael Christmas is 16 points and eight rebounds off the bench is so important for them to be able to sustain momentum for all 40 minutes having three of their five starters scoring over 13 points, Julian Wooden with 13, Justin Amadi with a 15 and five, uh, 15 point and five rebound performance in 21 minutes. And he shot seven of nine from the field. He is an efficient scorer, but Matt Lewis also added 20, the typical Matt Lewis night. 
and you get that type of, you see those type of lines. You see Terrence Edwards adding nine, Zach Jacobs with eight. You see the kind of consistent production that JMU has, and you start to realize just how, you know, that's that's why they're able to be down for the most part of the game. And then, like you said, with a minute or over a minute to go, they finally took the lead. And, you know, with other teams, you can hang with the team, but just not have the juice to get past it. But for someone like JMU to show that, they can be down for the entire game for all 38 minutes of the game. But as long as they're taking the lead in those two, they know how to take control of it. And then it showed in the next night as well, Votto Moore scoring 16 points, even though he didn't have that good of a game to his standards in the first game. And then Terrence Edwards with 15 points, Michael Christmas with 12 points and six rebounds. It's just, you're kind of starting to see these players, you know, even their bench players, role players having these good performances. And you, you, you realize just how, how much good coaching that involves and how close and just how good they're getting. And you start to realize why they're sitting at the position they are right now in the CAA standings. Yeah. And then just a couple other notes on these guys. I don't know if uh, you saw it, but I mean, Votto clearly, if he didn't have, you know, necessarily shooting wasn't going his way on Saturday, he found that rhythm and he found that confidence on Sunday. He hit a huge deep logo three, basically almost from half. He stepped up and said, you know what? I got this. I'm going to take it. And he did. And then going back to freshman Terrence Edwards, he's now he just grabbed CAA Rookie of the Week after this weekend matchup. He averaged 12 points both games, a bunch of assists. He was playing all very versatile. You know, people are starting to realize, like, okay, the JMU Dukes aren't just a starting five, especially if you see the amount of bench points coming lately. They're they're well-rounded, and they're working in different guys who play well together, and clearly it's paying off. Uh, yeah, that second game, JMU's bench outscored Hofstra's 36 to eight. Wow. That is huge. And then in this first game, it was 37 to 14. If you have a stat like that and your starters are producing, you're going to, you're going to win a lot of games. And I just feel like there's starting to become this kind of, they're starting to get this swagger about them, this confidence that, you know, they, they never want to, obviously coach Byington isn't going to let them get ahead of themselves. They're not going to start calling themselves CA champions, or they're not going to say, Oh, we're going dancing, but you know that they're starting to get confident and you know that they're starting to say, Hey, we know we can win And this year. They were picked to finish ninth and they've proved everyone wrong. And the, I think an important part about this is a lot of the players that are producing for them are returning next year and in, in, including some players that, you know, obviously up in the air. I know Matt Lewis probably is headed to professional ranks as he should, but th- this year isn't counting toward eligibility. So again, not to get too far in the future, because obviously we're previewing and recapping this week, but it's going to be interesting to see how this team progresses just over the next course of the next few months, seeing what happens with the end of the season, the end of the, or I guess the start and end of postseason. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Just one game left. It looks like for the Dukes in the regular season, it's two weekends from now. And then obviously Saturday, March 6th, that's when it all gets real. The CAA tournament starts and it's going to be hosted at JMU on JMU's campus at the Atlantic union bank center. Really exciting for JMU to get to host a tournament like that, especially to have that home, home court advantage. I mean, you're at home, you're, you're playing where you've been playing all season. There's people who have been here, they've been on the road, but the Dukes get to sit right here, just focus on their game. And all they have to do is show up and keep getting it done. Thank you for listening to another hoops section of the JMU update podcast with myself, Tucker stunts and Noah Ziegler. And we will see you guys next week. Thank you, gentlemen. Let's welcome once again Carter Inslee into our podcast. This time he wraps up his look at JMU football foes from the CAA this spring. 
Hello everyone, this is Carter Inslee, and welcome to the final installment of the James Madison Football Foes Preview. For this last episode, we're previewing JMU's third CAA opponent for the upcoming spring season, the Richmond Spiders. The University of Richmond is a small private school in Richmond, Virginia, and although the Spiders are a part of the A-10 for most of their athletics, the football team has been a member of the CAA since 2007. Richmond has been one of JMU's most prominent rivals for quite some time now, and the two teams have a rich history with each other. As is the case for all of JMU's conference opponents, the Dukes are scheduled to play the Spiders twice this year. The first matchup will be a home game for the Dukes on March 20th, and the second game will be April 3rd in Richmond. These two teams have met every season since 1987, and the all-time series record is remarkably close, with JMU leading it 19-18. So, the Spiders will be looking to use the unique opportunity of playing JMU twice in one season to reclaim their lead in the rivalry. The previous matchup was in November of 2019, when the Dukes got a dominating 48-6 victory in their final home game of the regular season. The last time Richmond was victorious over JMU was back in 2015, when the Spiders played the spoiler role in JMU's first ever hosting of ESPN's College Game Day, defeating the Dukes 59-49 in a shootout. Still, JMU has won each of the last four matchups with Richmond and seven of the last ten, and this is what's given the Dukes their one-game advantage in the all-time series. Now that we've covered the series summary, let's go in-depth on the Richmond football team to see how they stack up this year. The Spiders in 2019 had a 5-7 overall record and were 4-4 in the CAA. As part of the CAA's South Division, Richmond is scheduled to play James Madison, Elon, and William & Mary twice each this year. But unlike some of the other teams in the CAA, Richmond does not have any out-of-conference opponents on their schedule for this spring. Instead, they'll just be playing those six conference games. Their head coach, Russ Huseman, is entering his fourth year and is seeking to get his first winning season with the program. But as Coach Huseman recently discussed, his own expectations for the team this year are not limited to simply getting a winning record. I think we can play a lot of people and still try to win a championship, try to be 6-0. and uh, Our goal is to, to win a championship. Uh, our goal is to go to the playoffs. Uh, we're working hard to do that. Our, our players understand that. The Spiders are still trying to recreate the success they had going a few years ago when they made the FCS playoffs in three straight seasons from 2014 to 2016. And of course, they are always seeking to get a second national championship after winning their first and only one back in 2008 when Mike London was the head coach. That won't be an easy task, of course, but the fact that they get eight starters on offense and seven on defense back from last year is an encouraging sign for Richmond. One of those starters is senior quarterback Joe Mancuso, who threw for over 2,100 yards and 13 touchdowns in 2019 with a 63% completion rate. Junior Bo English also played some QB for Richmond last season, so it'll be interesting to see what the Spiders' approach is with multiple viable options at quarterback, and Coach Huseman suggested that we'll see a fair amount of both of them in the spring season. You know, Joe's a talented player, no question about that. He's, he's, you know, he was coming into the fall. The teammates had voted him captain. says a lot about him and how our team feels about him. Um, but, you know, it also feels good. We got Bo English, too. And Bo played a lot of football for us, especially early on last year. Uh, so we're, we're, we're going in feeling good about that position, no question. Now, in the spring, uh, we're going to play them both. And we've made that decision. We're going to play a lot of people in the spring. Um, and so they'll, they'll both get, uh, they're both going to play. No question about that. Uh, Joe's our starter and, you know, I anticipate going into fall with Joe as a starter, but Bo's competing. 
However, Richmond will likely need more than just good quarterback play this season to improve their offense. The Spiders' offense had the second-fewest points per game in the CAA last year with just 22, and part of the reason may have been the lack of a consistent running back. Richmond had a host of different players running the ball, many of whom were freshmen, but none of its running backs ran for over 400 yards or had more than one touchdown. In fact, most of the rushing production actually came from Mancuso, who rushed for 647 yards and 10 touchdowns. Impressive numbers for a quarterback, no doubt, but Richmond will probably be hoping for one of their young running backs, such as Savon Smith, Aaron Dykes, or Milan Howard, to emerge from the pack and become their go-to guy. As mentioned before, Richmond has eight starters returning on offense, but the one area where they've lost the most talent is probably at wide receiver. Keiston Fuller was the Spiders' most productive receiver by far in 2019, with nearly 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns. But Fuller won't be returning, and neither will Charlie Fessler, who put up over 800 yards and three touchdowns. The two receivers returning this year who got significant playing time last season are Isaac Brown and Justin Jasper. Brown and Jasper had 313 and 134 yards receiving in 2019, respectively, and they each scored one touchdown. So they'll be looking to step into a bigger role this year and fill in the shoes of Fuller and Fessler. As for the defense, some of Richmond's top defensive players from last year are gone, but they still have a great deal of talent. The Spiders had a fearsome defensive front last season, as they were second in the CAA in total sacks. While their sack leader from 2019, Maurice Jackson, has graduated, they do get back Kobe Turner, who racked up seven sacks of his own. The Spiders also have their two top linebackers returning in Tristan Wheeler and Tyler Dressler. Dressler recorded nine and a half tackles per game in 2019, which was the most not just for Richmond, but in the entire conference. So he'll provide a huge boost for the defense in his senior season. Obviously, you know, when, you, when you're good in the middle, uh, you got a chance to be good. And we're, we're good there. I mean, with Ritten and Turner and, um, and, and the two linebackers there, you know, I, I think the one thing we got um, Darius Reynolds coming back who didn't play uh, in 19 with an injury, uh, and he had started the previous year. Uh, so feel good about him. Uh, we'll be a little young in the secondary, um, you know, and that you know, I, I don't want to say that's an issue because I think we're talented. Um you know, the, the guys we lost last year uh, loved them and, and did so much for the program. But I actually I truly believe that we're more talented in the secondary, just uh, less experienced. And with that, we have now discussed each of JMU's three CAA opponents for this 2021 spring season. Elon, William & Mary, and Richmond should all provide some interesting matchups for the Dukes as they go for their fifth conference championship in the last six seasons. This is Carter Inslee saying thanks for listening, and let's all hope that this bizarre spring season will be a fun one. Indeed, we do hope it will be a fun one. Again, there are playoffs at stake once again this spring, and then we turn right back around in August. They come back to camp, and we begin once again in September with hopefully a normal football season. But I know JMU fans do look forward to this spring season of JMU football. My thanks to Carter, also to Noah and Tucker, and to London for their contributions to today's podcast. And thanks to you for listening. I'm Kurt Dudley, and have a great purple and gold day and weekend. The JMU Sports Podcast is presented by United Bank and is a production of JMU Athletics Broadcast Services, a part of JMU Athletics Communications. Go Dukes!